Welcome to Grace in Public, preaching and teaching in the heartland and all around the world. Thank you for tuning in today. We've got an amazing classic message preached in 1985 about the love of God ahead. It was a Bible college class from the book of Proverbs. Then we've got a devotional message speaking about obedience, that the grace of God promotes obedience in my life in a creative, dynamic way. Agape love is more than just mental attitude love. Let me illustrate it. Romans 5 eight, For he commended his love toward us, and while we were yet sinners, he died for us. Let's put, for mental attitude love was there, and Jesus Christ never had to come. The lack of definition of the meaning of agape is not revealing the character of God's nature properly. It's telling one side of it, but it's not repeating and explaining the other. Let me explain 2 Corinthians 8.24 pertaining to giving. Love, God's agape love, will motivate me to give, not just to have a good attitude about it. Here's another principle. This line of thinking with Archbishop Trent's, or the interpretation of Archbishop Trent's uh, understanding and privately interpreting what the man said, results in phileus, meaning an entire soul love for the five parts of the soul. While agape love means only the mind. So what happens? Well, I pick out people that know the word of God, And I have a friendship with them, just the crowd that know the word of God. And against everyone else, or with everyone else, I have an attitude of love. But I never do anything about it. Don't speak to them, don't do a thing. Because after all, I'm free of mental attitude sins toward them. It's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches in 1 Corinthians 12, pertaining to the body. In Colossians 3, 12 to 14, pertaining to one another. In Galatians 5.13, agape love means I serve you. And it means I put on charity, the bond of perfection. And I'm kind towards you in external expressions. So if I limit agape love to a mental attitude, I take it out of the realm of the volition. And I leave only philos love for the volition. But agape love is volitional. He so loved, he gave. And if I leave it in the mental attitude spectrum, then I'm confining it to the mind, not allowing it to enter into every part of the soul, and leaving it only as an attitude. And God would still be in heaven, having a good attitude toward us. And we'd be lost in going to hell. Where he said, well, you know, I'm free of mental attitude. Uh, comes with them. This is a philosophy that's going along today. I'm studying these things very carefully. I'm giving you scriptures for my answers, the word of God, and you'll see it. Now, um, we have, of course, Eros, which some say uh, only is confined to the physical. But it's more than the physical. It is the physical. It emphasizes the physical. Then we have storge relationships, families and friendships, etc., And uh, all of this. But each one must not be limited and confined to just a particular thing. Even though they emphasize a particular aspect of a relationship. 
Now, what am I communicating with you? How to seek after wisdom. Now, we must not have love just based upon, for example, let's say agape love means the filling of the spirit and a mental attitude. No, it doesn't. It means that. It definitely means that. And that must be the premise of it. But it goes way beyond that. And mental attitude acts in the volition to express. James 2, 14 to 18. If you see a brother have a need, you don't say depart in peace, be warm, God bless you, I'll pray. You give him what you can give him. You don't do that. Not if you read Colossians 3, 12 to 14, Galatians 5, 6, Galatians 5, 13, 1 Corinthians 12, 18 to 27, uh, especially 1 Corinthians 12, 26, you suffer when they suffer, you rejoice when they rejoice, Romans 12, 15. You don't do that, you see? Why? You're members of an organism, part of one new man. That is limiting the word of God, and hear this, it takes it out of the realm of wisdom. Even though I have knowledge. Remember, knowledge is knowing something thoroughly and wisdom is applying it specifically. So if I don't apply my love specifically and I only know it thoroughly, then I'm confining it to me without revealing it to you. Now, is that clear? This is where governmental doctrine comes in. We submit to the Father's plan, which includes expressing the Father's character. By accepting the grace of the finished work, Hebrews 10.10, Hebrews 10.14, and positional truth as the foundation of our derivation for experiential action. Notice I said experiential action. Positional truth is the foundation for experiential action, not just a mental attitude alone. So grace for action, grace for thinking first, grace for action too. Then we let the Holy Spirit reveal the plan and the guidance for the action or expression or manifestation. In other words, we don't quench him, we don't grieve him. This is governmental doctrine, the kingdom of God, the finger of God. And we enter into cooperation with grace and there is human responsibility in grace grace depends upon who God is and what God has done and that's true not a single thing for me in return that's true but now that I accept grace the same thing that gives me something for nothing motivates me freely to reveal it motivates me freely to reveal it Love motivates me freely to reveal grace. And then I enter into the guidance of the Holy Spirit. As the Holy Spirit reveals the steps of the plan of God and the eternal purpose for my life. And this takes us into the revelation or explanation of the full canon of scriptures, the word of God. The word of God explains the steps through the Holy Spirit by governmental doctrine. And my free volition becomes responsible with human response to truth. And then in grace, it is directed by governmental doctrine and the inward kingdom of God, and it guides me in each step. Psalm 37, 23, Psalm 119, 133, and each thought, 2 Corinthians 10, 4 and 5. And there we have governmental doctrine taking over in place of just plain 
doctrine which is confined to the mental attitude. Now we have more than a mental attitude. We have the expression of it through grace, the revelation of it through the, uh, through the word, and the guidance of it through the Holy Spirit. And that's governmental doctrine. Therefore, the believer, when he understands wisdom, and he understands how to receive the word with meekness, James 1.21b, here with humility, Psalm 34, 2. When he understands how to be teachable, Psalm 25, 9. Then it's more than just an attitude, although it is certainly that. And it must be that for premise. Now it's taken into... Serving the brethren, being kindly affection toward them, Romans 12, 10, 1 Peter 1, 7. And then it goes into a beautiful principle of revealing an invisible God and making him visible. It knows more than the character of the word of God. It reveals the characteristics of the life of God. If I thought that love was just a mental attitude, I could let the world go to hell and, and just uh, misunderstand what preparation means. Ezra said it very clearly uh, that he was preparing his heart to seek the law of God and to do it and to teach Israel statutes and judgment. But he said, not only am I preparing my heart to teach them the doctrine, but also to do it. And Jesus Christ in Acts 1-2 did and then he taught. You see, this is a gap, eh, love? It's not sitting around with a selective group of friends that all accept the same kind of doctrine. It takes up its cross and lays down its life for the brethren and serves them with the very characteristics of God's nature on Calvary displayed toward us while we were yet sinners. Am I making myself clear? Now, let's consider what happens when a person confines agape love as a mental attitude outside of the volition. Well, it leaves us actually in a passive state. It leaves us in a passive state. Now, there's young, isolated men and women who come in here at the classes and they're just emotionally involved in the ministry and not very emotionally involved either. They have, at best, a subjective involvement with the word. At best. So when they play in sports, they get angry all the time. When I speak about rock music, they, get, they don't agree with me. And they never act. You know why? They're passive toward the word of life. They're passive. All right, let me illustrate what passivity can do to you. You just sat there every morning, and once in a while, you're a little bit emotionally affected. This kind of a person, not you, but this kind of a person. A little bit subjectively interested. But very little do, does this person ever objectively embrace anything to, to be humanly responsible, to act in grace, motivated by love with the explanation of categories. They just say, well, what do you do about that? I tried it. 
And I want to show you what they do. I know what you teach, but a sick head of passivity. Now, you know, you know what the Word of God teaches? It teaches that man is responsible to submit to God. You just don't, when, when somebody brings up something, you just don't sit there and say, well, if God wants me to do it, then he'll have to do it. Isn't it all grace? It's grace. No, it's all grace as a premise, but grace is limited by my free volitional response to its initiation. It's just like telling a wife she's got to love you. She has not got to love us. You say, God says you've got to obey me, you've got to love me. She has not got to do that. That is determined by her free volition. And she'll, she will not cooperate with what you think she should do beyond her free volition. So love and grace are powerless in the sense of human experience without the cooperation of the free volition. You got it? So you can tell a person, you can tell a teenager, what are you doing that for? Don't do that. Do this. Do that. That's great to give them explanation in love, of course. But if they don't want to cooperate, then what you're telling them falls to the ground. I don't have any secret formula, and neither does any teachers, how to make you leave passivity. So if you want to know how do you do it, I can give you God's answer. But I don't have a push button. I don't have a computer. And I don't have any electrical currents. I'm going to tell you what God says about passivity. And then we'll get into another one, subjectivity. These two things. And then you have a choice to make, believe it or not, with your free volition. And if you want to honor God's spoken word through the scriptures, he, with his governmental doctrine, will deliver your soul from passivity. And he will deliver your heart from subjectivity. But you can hear this teaching like you've heard many other things from this pulpit. And it is not going to happen by grace apart from your cooperation by responding to the full meaning of grace. What, how do you overcome passivity? Is there a godly absolute way? I'm saying this morning that there's an absolute way to overcome passivity. I'm teaching in this pulpit from Proverbs by using New Testament commentary that there's an absolute way to overcome subjectivity which keeps me from listening, inhibits me from receiving, and stops me from appropriating. And also hinders my proper evaluation. That's what subjectivity does. And substitutes emotional ways for objective truth and categorical doctrine. Now, he giveth what? Greater grace to them that think lowly, right? That are humble because they take up their cross daily. And they do not think highly of themselves. They do not think anything of themselves, but they think in grace. You see how humility works? It doesn't think highly of itself, Galatians 6.3. It doesn't think lowly of itself and enter into 
self-condemnation complexes and inferiority complexes and guilt complexes and peer complexes and self-image problems. That would be wrong to think lowly of yourself because of failure, because you never had much insecurity. And so you think low, you know, bad of yourself. That's wrong. So it doesn't think highly of itself. It doesn't think lowly of itself. It doesn't think of itself. It's responsible, but it's, this person thinks in grace. And then it leads to greater grace for action. Isn't that beautiful? Listen, you think in grace... And then it leads to greater grace for action. So, he giveth greater grace to the humble. Isn't that beautiful? The humble will hear Psalm 34, 2. The meek will he teach Psalm 25, 9. All right. Now, a disposition of God instead of a disposition of man, that's meekness. Through the word, through the filling of the spirit, in faith rest. And this leads to... The production of divine good or the fruit of the Holy Spirit. Philippians 1.11. Philippians 1.11. The fruit of righteousness, the production of divine good instead of natural good or human good or moral good. Now, here we have this great principle. If a person gets greater grace, the marriage is going to be stabilized no matter if one party is getting the grace. I don't mean you got to live with everybody if they beat you and say you won't get right for your kids, but in cases. But I'm talking about your, your, your peace, your mental attitude towards your partner. In many situations where there are just personality clashes in differences because a couple has not built a uh, marital foundation, then greater grace will keep them together and make them happy and make them spiritually one. And then emotionally and physically compatible every single time it does take two for this to work but if it doesn't work by two are cooperating then one can be peaceful in the transitions of waiting on God so we have greater grace coming to the businessman greater grace coming to the uh, teacher preacher greater grace coming to the families greater grace coming to the sick Greater grace coming for those that are disturbed and have just lost a loved one. Greater grace. Now, here it is. God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace unto the humble. Now, if a person is not humble, God stands against him in the details of life. And he has a nervous breakdown. And Adam is discovered and wounded again. All because he withdraws into the wounds of Adam. And Adam will always be wounded, and he'll always have bruises, and he'll always have putrefying sores, and he's deceitful, and he can never be corrected, and he can never be delivered, because he's desperately wicked, and he's got to be crucified, and that's what Christ did on the cross, 2 Corinthians 5.21, and tells us to reckon it to be so, as a past experience in Romans 6.6, 6, but to reckon on it daily, Romans 6.11, and then to do something outside of passivity, once we've reckoned by faith, and that is yield our members as instruments of righteousness unto God, as those that are alive from the dead, in 6.13 and 6.16, and uh, it's a beautiful thing. Once I understand humility and receiving greater grace, then uh, my free volition submits to God. What does that mean? You are brought out of passivity. 
And you are brought out of subjectivity. And all of a sudden you don't sit there like a Indian after America takes her over, uh, the English take her over. You, uh, you just don't sit to messages and say, I know all that, but I've never been able to implement. I have never been able to implement. I know what I should be to my wife, but I've never been able to implement. I know how I should feel, but I'm not able to implement. I've not, I withdraw into Adam and get wounded and get indifferent and get schizophrenic. I've never been able, and paranoid, I've never been able to implement. What is that kind of a person doing? He's not beginning to act on a mandate to submit to God. He refuses to submit to the governmental doctrine of God. And there's an urgency in this imperative commanding him to do that. So he doesn't receive the what? The grace of God. He doesn't receive the grace of God. So he can't think in grace. He cannot get greater grace for the ongoing intensified trials of the plan of God in governmental doctrine. He can't submit to the plan of God because he cannot get greater grace to experience the mind of Christ. And therefore the revelation of the Holy Spirit is grieved and the explanation of doctrine is mad by soul shadows. In Song of Solomon 2.17 it talks about until the shadows flee away and he has soul shadows. And, the, and the, what light he gets eventually turns into darkness in Matthew 6.23. How great is the darkness in the soul when it's light that's turned into darkness. When he went negative toward light, didn't use his volition toward light, didn't receive the grace to act in light, could not be motivated by love. Now he ends up with doctrine turning into darkness as his frame of reference and it equals defeat. Grace is available to equalize what you need for every situation. The equalization of grace. Grace is available to equalize what you need in your mind and your emotions to meet the demands of the plan of God through the explanation of the word of God through the finished work grace of Christ who executed it and it gives you the revelation of the plan in steps and thoughts then you end up functioning in the kingdom of God, not just in the letter of the word, or not just with an emotional attachment to Christ. If you can, don't forget to send a tax-deductible gift to us. Your generous donation made to our program promotes this broadcast and ones like it going out on the internet and broadcast on local stations throughout the United States. So please prayerfully consider what you can give. Find out how to give your donation at www.graceandpublic.com God's grace gives me the ability, freedom, and desire to find ways to be obedient to Him. It's a truth that we've seen acted out through the ages. People who have been touched by the grace and love of God and then transformed show incredible tenacity, creativity, go into places that have never been gone to before. We see translators who have gone far, far away from their native culture to places where they translated the language purely for the purpose of giving those people the Bible. 
but then that language became the written language of that com- of that country, and they did that, those people a great service. We see people who are martyred for the faith. We we see people who have incredible joy in circumstances that others would be sorrowful or broken in. Why is this true? On Psalm 37:23, the steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord, and He delighteth in His way. Romans 12:10 says, "Be kindly affectioning." to one another with brotherly love and honor preferring one another. The grace of God, when it's manifested, when it becomes real in our lives, when we really have are illuminated by this truth, we see God as gracious and loving and we've tasted of that love that died on our behalf at Calvary and then rose from the dead and is so active in our lives to shower blessings upon us that we could never earn or deserve. When we see that God is gracious, then it produces in us a desire to serve God, to be pleasing to God. When we see that God is pleased with us, that he loves us because of what he's done on our behalf, this new person that we've become desires to walk in a pleasing way, that God would would be happy with what we do and say. In John 6, 28-29, And they said unto him, What shall we do that we might work the works of God? Jesus answered and said unto them, This is the work of God, that ye believe on him whom he hath sent. This is really the work of the Christian. Everything else is an overflow from this relationship that we have with him because we are actively believing in Jesus Christ, believing in his character and his nature, trusting in him for the very next step. This work of believing is the real work. Then everything else happens in such a way that we can walk in the flow of the Holy Spirit. 2 Corinthians 10, 4-5 For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds, casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God, and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. These imaginations and high things that exalt themselves against us, many times it's a wrong self-image of ourselves or how God sees us. When we begin to doubt the love of God or doubt our place in his heart or doubt who he's made us to be, these things exalt themselves against the knowledge of God. And it's, it says here that we bring these things into captivity Psalm 119, 133, Order my steps in thy word, and let not any iniquity have dominion over me. In Hebrews 10.10, By the which will we are sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ, once and for all. So now, when I'm firmly rooted and grounded in the grace of God, when my heart is established in the grace of God, Then I can serve him with creativity. Then I have ability. It's divine ability because I'm operating, as we heard in the message, in this government of grace, the government of God. The government of God takes hold of me, and I am able to operate in the truth. I'm able to to walk in what's real, and and I'm able to serve God and be obedient to him. Yes, the word of God says and calls for obedience to God. Of course it does. And it's our duty and ingrained in us, we know that to be true, that to obey God is part of having a walk with God. But 
if I'm not filled with the grace of God, if I'm not filled with the Spirit of God, and I can strive to do this, and I can, I can work at it, I can pour out my heart to, to try to obey God, but to my old sin nature, God is a hard taskmaster. I can't do the things that He wants me to do. I can't love like He loves. But when I am filled with the Spirit of God, and I have a fresh revelation of the person of Jesus Christ, His character and nature, that he's gracious and loving towards me, then my obedience comes as an overflow. It's an overflow of that relationship. And that in that state of love where I'm loving him and I'm loving myself and I'm loving others because I'm filled with the very love of God by the Holy Spirit, to obey the word of God is not a grudging task. It, it's what comes naturally to the, to the spiritual person, to the one made alive by the Spirit of God, whose spirit is in communion with a holy God. We'd love to hear from you, so please go to our website and contact us. The web address is www.graceinpublic.com. All this talk about mental attitude and love and being motivated by the scriptures. And the first step is to receive the free gift of salvation that God purchased for you with the very blood of his son on the cross 2,000 years ago. You were in his mind when he was hanging on that cross. He paid for your sins. You can receive him as your savior and have a brand new life. You can operate in the love of God, in the government of God. You can love unconditionally once you've received the Son. Pray this prayer. Lord, come into my life. Transform me. I believe that you died for me, that you were buried, that you rose again, and that you have a new life waiting for me. Please save me. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.